from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 172. Today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks, Balance Open, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell. And Jason Snell, our hashtag Snell Talk question this week comes from Richard. And Richard wants to know, Jason, Oasis or Blur? Is there a Kindle Blur? <laughs> Yay! Thanks for listening, everybody. We're done. No, can't get any better than that. That's very good. Very good. Come on in. Oasis or Blur, which is yours? Um, I I could not tell you a Blur song. And mm. I have sung numerous Oasis songs during Dungeons and Dragons sessions every time okay. uh, that somebody casts a spell with like Windwall. You, you know, you can figure out what happens then. Mm-hmm. One member of my party did that. And then the, the, wind, the Wonderwall uh, covers come out. Uh, Oasis. Yeah, not even a question because Blur. Like I don't even I did what. What is a song from Blur? But Oasis, Oasis, I could tell you fifteen songs. So you sure. would know some Blur songs. I, I'm very confident. Uh, that Probably you would know some some Blur songs. But I, I think um, that's telling, right? Like literally, yeah. I had to look at this and and think, oh, they probably mean a band that I don't know, <laughs> and okay. a band I do know. I love Blur, um, but I love Oasis even more. They're one of my favorite bands of all time. Um, I would actually, at this point, like to do some super out-of-date follow-out. There is an episode of Inquisitive where Federico Vitici came on and we did his favorite album, which was What's the Story, Morning Glory yep. by Oasis. Um, uh-huh. And it's a great episode because we both adore the album and grew up with it. So uh, I think the, the conversation's really good. And I guess while we're doing this, we also, me and Jason also did one too, and it was a crowded house, right? Yep, that's right. And when I met Federico for the first time, when he came out for that Apple event, sort of at the spur of the moment, uh, that uh, we went out to lunch and we walked into the restaurant, him and I, and sat down at a table and Oasis uh, began playing in the background. <laughs> and we both looked at each other like, no, really? <laughs> it was a funny meant moment. to be. It was it was meant to be. Blur Blur was uh, had an album picked on the incomparable album draft. I think Steve Lutz picked Modern Life is Rubbish, but uh I don't know anything about Blur. So there you go. Oasis it is then by default. I would like to uh give my thanks to Richard for his great question. Uh if you would like to send in a question to open the show, just send a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk. It goes into a document and we'll pick it out for later use. But we should start. We have a we have a quite a lot to get through today, Jason Snell. I think maybe actually, in case oh, people man. read the description, I'm just going to say this right now. Okay, at the very end of the show today, we're going to be doing a special mic at the movies where we will be talking about Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Spoilers will happen immediately from when you hear the spoiler horn. It's going to be the last thing we talk about today, but I just want to let you know up front, you can still listen to the rest of this episode. We won't talk about it at all, but we will get there. Um, At the end of the episode, we're going to talk about Star Wars The Last Jedi, so you can look out for that today. So whilst we're talking about some media stuff, uh, we heard from a few people about... We were talking last time about 4K and and if we'd ever see like over-the-air 4K and stuff like that. There were a bunch of people that wrote in to say that they are that they do get 4K service from cable or satellite providers in various countries. Some in Canada, uh, some in the UK. Yeah, I think like Rogers or something has a 4K channel. And uh, it sounds like... It, it actually reminds me of the early days of HD. I had DirecTV, the satellite service here in the US, when HD was uh, starting. And I got an HD TV and an HD receiver. And the early days of HD, there would be like 
the HD channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember having that. Yeah, right. And like there was in the U.S., we ended up with like HDNet, and there was like some other HD channel, like that was the one that HDNet was the one that literally they had a show every morning that was HD picture of a sunrise from a pretty location for half an hour. Yep, actual show. Um, and the um Olympics, I want to say the 2004 Olympics. I remember they had a channel for that where everything was delayed a day, but it was in HD, and I thought, oh my god. HD is going to change sports forever, which it totally did because watching sports is way better now. And watching swimmers in the Olympics in HD where you can see the swimmers in the pool, you used to not be able to see the swimmers in the pool. They'd just be like, you're watching a bunch of blobs mm-hmm. going down the pool. And now you can actually like see the swimmers in the water and all of that. And that was, so those were great. This reminds me of that where it's sort of like, there are some places that are tentatively like we have a 4K channel somewhere um, which is cool, but I think our larger point stands, which is, is this is this going to be embraced or are you going to see regular mainstream kind of broadcast and cable channels uh, just make no effort to go to 4K anywhere but on an internet stream? And uh, I, I mentioned Game of Thrones last week, which I think is not available on 4K in any format, but a better example would have been Westworld on HBO, which was just released in a 4K Blu-ray version. So they have a 4K version of that show, but HBO Go, I believe, does not support 4K. So, you know, you have to buy the the 4K Blu-ray to get the 4K, which is not a particularly uh, big format. And I just wonder, at some point, does HBO say... Oh no, you you can watch 4K Westworld when it comes out, but only on our app. Like it's not available on your channel because your channel is just 1080, but the app will be 4K. And I think it's going to happen. I think that's inevitable that it'll happen probably soon. I'm I'm actually surprised they didn't do it already. But um one of these major show launches somebody like HBO is going to say, "Yep, now it's in 4K." So, enjoy. Yeah, so there's also in the UK, um, it's called Sky Q. It allows you to watch Lake Ultra HD. It's 4K. My belief, I could be wrong, fine if I am. I, I think you have to have an internet connection to watch that, and Sky is a satellite provider. So I think there's some stuff being provided mm. over the internet as well. But I think the point that we were trying to make still stands, that it is incredibly unlikely that yeah. there will ever be a transition to 4K over the air, because Rogers is cable... Sky is satellite. Like, I just don't think it's going to happen. Honestly. Yeah, over the over the air, I don't think it's going to happen. But even even on cable and satellite, I think it's going to be hard. Um, it might happen eventually, but you're talking about like a huge hauling of channels uh, up to a new format. Yeah. And the 720 1080, the HD transition was a big deal. It sold a lot of TVs. It is a dramatic picture improvement. 4K HDR is really nice, but is it enough to drive the entire infrastructure, and that includes people with their TVs and their cable boxes and things, to upgrade? Um, you know, and, and like I said last week, my cable company still has all the SD channels and then the HD channels. Like, so they're, they're still not through the HD transition. At some point, surely, those channels just need to go away, and they need to say, look, if you want to watch an SD channel... Um, you know, buy our get our box that converts it into an SD picture for your SD TV. Do you have an SD? Who even has that? But but still, those channels remain right. So they aren't even done with that. Let alone a 4K transition. Mm-hmm. And right as the internet uh, video streaming technology is advancing, it is a hard thing to imagine that any traditional broadcast infrastructure could withstand an upgrade at this point because. 
uh, it feels like it's more likely to go away than it'd be upgraded to 4K. We were also talking last week um, about Face ID um, attention detection and people who only have the use of one eye. This is an Ask Upgrade question. We've heard from both Andre and Eric to confirm that even if you only have the use of one eye, Face ID works as normal, which is amazing, right? I think that's great. I didn't expect that, so I think that's fantastic news. So so I'll pass that along. I think it's just a general interesting tidbit of information, but also to answer last week's question. Um, In our media follow-up segment, which I think is going to continue for quite a while, Apple have ordered another TV series. It is a sci-fi drama from Ronald D. Moore, who is the current showrunner of Outlander. Um, He's also worked on a host of Star Trek series as well, and I think he has an Amazon series. He's doing Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Um, I think he was the showrunner or writer on that as well. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. Um, yep. this, This new show that is being ordered for Apple is set to take place in a world in which the space race never ended. I am immediately interested in this. I love that premise <laughs> because it's like kind of modern day history type stuff, which which I do enjoy. Um, this apparently, according to Deadline, is the first series order from Van Amberg and Ehrlich, who were the two Sony executives that joined Apple. So this is their first series order. All the other stuff have been ordered by the other people that haven't worked on it. And these three, more Van Amberg and Ehrlich, have worked together in the past um, other Sony projects. So this is an interesting pairing and I think a very interesting conceit for a series. In my research in this, I couldn't find out if it was how much, how many seasons Apple had ordered, which makes me assume it's one. Yeah, it sounds like it's it's a, it's a no pilot, so it's direct to series, which is still a big jump. But the idea there is that it takes a lot less time than if you have to shoot a pilot and edit a pilot and then everybody watches it and says, oh, this is pretty good. Let's go to series. And then you order the series. And they're mm-hmm. trying to cut some corners here to get this thing out. And so they go to Ron Moore and they say, we'll make you a deal where you don't have to make us a pilot. You can just... And probably that idea was being shopped around by his agents, right? And people were bidding on it. Yep. And Apple came in and said, we'll just give you an order for it. We're, we're not going to even make you... So... And maybe somebody else also did that and didn't say, we want a pilot. We'll, we'll pay for a pilot. Probably Amazon. I would expect, considering they're already working with him. I mean, who knows? It's possible, but um, but what for whatever reason, perhaps money, Apple won the day on this. Well, or just to work with people he's worked with before, right? Like, there's there's probably quite a lot of incentive there. Sure, and and I think this is Apple um, doing what we said they would do, which is find creators mm-hmm. who have a track record. And I mean, the the show that I think you didn't mention is Outlander. Did you mention Outlander? Um, that's actually so. his, yeah, that's the show that he's currently running. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 oh yeah, you did you did mention it. It's like Battlestar Galactica, Outlander, and of course he worked on Star Trek: um, Next Generation and Deep Space Nine for years. Um, he's got a good track record. Battlestar Galactica, yeah. real uh, uh, high level, um, you know, critically acclaimed. Well, everybody uh, was impressed with his work on that show. And uh, Outlander has actually done pretty well for stars here in the U.S. So uh, yeah, so he's doing a. Obviously, a space show of some sort or other, alt history kind of thing. Um, really interesting idea. And again, what Apple gets from that is right out of the gate, they've got a high concept with a well-known creator. That's the kind of stuff that they want to, in order to um, make it clear that they're serious about what whatever it is they're yeah. doing. I see this one. You could get some. I would expect actually some really interesting names to be eventually attached to this, like a modern sure. history piece playing a world leader. Like I think you could probably. 
entice yeah. quite oh, a yeah. lot of interesting actors and actresses into these roles. Um, so I reckon this is going to be a pretty a pretty interesting one for them, especially with it only being a one season commitment initially. Right, it makes it easier, I guess, for people to jump on. Well, I mean, it depends because if if it's a if you're committing to a series, unless they're planning on killing off your character, they're probably going to make true. you sign a deal with options for for many years. Good point. And Good point. Uh, you know, and we we don't know the details. It's possible that. My guess is that unless any of these things bombs, that that you know, Apple's going to be like Amazon was in the early days, where it literally didn't cancel anything because yeah. they just want to keep the ball rolling um, and keep building their catalog rather than replacing. And Netflix is canceling shows now, but for years they didn't do that. So yeah, it's a really it's another really interesting wrinkle in this Apple Video service thing. It's going to continue. There will be more creators, and as you pointed out, more actors. Like that. That's the next part is they'll start casting. Like we know Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston are in that other show because they're producing it and they're going to be in it. But like this show will have presumably, you know, we would not be surprised if they had some fairly recognizable names as performers in it too. And that gives them another little publicity burst. Yeah, I think with the the frequency at which we are talking about this, I am expecting whether it's next year, 18 months or whenever it is this service launches, that Apple is planning to launch it with multiple brand new shows would be my expectation because they are signing a lot in a close period of time. So, I mean, I don't know what their production schedules are, but I would expect that they're not looking to like launch this service with just one original show. It'd probably be a small handful would be my expectation. It's got to, got to be a a collection of them because they want to have, uh, well, plus one of the theories is that perhaps it will launch for everyone that they'll do like they did with Apple Music, where um, they're going to launch it and make it available for anyone to watch for a free period, mm-hmm. and then you'll pay. And if that's true, then they're going to want stuff that's impressive in the free period. They're going to want stuff that rolls into the not free period. Um, none of these shows is going to do. Uh, even even 22 episodes, right? They're all going to do short seasons, which means you're going to need multiple shows at any given time, and then they're going to have to come in waves throughout the year. Uh, they can't just like show all the shows for three months and then say, well, no more shows for another six months. Come back later, right? It's got to be rolling thunder throughout the year, which means you need a lot, like HBO has, like whatever, 20 original series that HBO is rolling out over time. And there may only be two or three at a time, but they're rolling out the whole year. Apple's going to have to do that if they, if this uh, service is going to be valuable. Hey, hey, Apple, if you're looking for a TV adaptation of a great podcast, just give us a call. I I hear <laughs> that everybody wants to adapt podcasts yeah. into TV shows. You could so. be you could be at the head of the head of the line here. You know, we're ready. Just, just give us summer a call. Summer of fun. Summer <laughs> of fun starring Jason and Mike. <laughs> we could go on a road trip. That could be it. It could be a road yep. trip podcast called The Summer of Fun. There we go. That's the pitch. Just give us a call. Okay. Amazon is selling the Chromecast and the Apple TV again. Um, listings for both products have appeared. The Apple TV was expected. This came with the, I think, with the news that the Prime app would be arriving, that Amazon would begin to sell the Apple TV again. Uh, but we've been talking about the last couple of weeks the very uh, tumultuous situation between Google and Amazon. And one of the things that Google was looking for was Amazon to be selling the Chromecast as their way to try and uh, patch over the bad blood that has risen between them. And it looks like something's happening because Google is going to be selling the Chromecast again. So maybe this could be the start of some kind of reconciliation to stop uh, Prime being, uh, YouTube, I should say, being ripped off the Fire TVs. 
Who knows? Yeah, we'll we'll see. I I know when I go there to those links. So Verge reported this. When I go to those links now, it says currently unavailable. Yeah, they said that. Okay, so this is the thing. They are currently unavailable, but they never were available. But these listings weren't there before. So right. like these currently unavailable listings have been. Let put us up. know when when yeah. it becomes available. So yeah, that is it is suspicious, right? Yeah, it's and the Apple TV something. the same way. Mm-hmm. Apple TV currently unavailable, and we know those are going to be available. Mm-hmm. So. Maybe this is the start of putting that stuff together. Um, I hope so. I was having some good conversations with this. My uncle's very interested in technology, a big family thing over the weekend. We were talking about it, like, because he, he he noted to me that the Echo Show was a heavy discount, and I was like, well, no surprise, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> there are going to be video services on it in a few weeks. Yeah, but it was it was just interesting, like, to because he gets it, right? He understands this stuff. But we we're just talking about like, if you own these products. It's just so frustrating to wake up one day and one of the biggest reasons you own it just doesn't exist anymore. Like they re- I really hope that they find a way to sort this out rather than making their users suffer. Hmm. And just before uh, we finish follow-up today, um, thank you so much if you voted in the Upgradies. Uh, we are very confident that this is going to be one of the best Upgradies yet. And we had way more submissions than I expected. Um, it was a significant amount of people um, of the Upgradians, Jason, that voted. I'm actually going to bring up the list now to give you the final count of submissions that we had. Um, uh-huh. but the Google Sheet is loading incredibly slowly. Oh, no. We had um, 745 Upgradians wow! submitted oh, votes my God. in the Upgradies, which is about three times more than I expected. Uh, so thank you so much if you were one of those people your voice has been heard the results have been tallied and the upgradies the fourth annual upgradies will be coming to you on january 1st so thank you for for that isn't that an incredible number 745 people that's great so thank you thank you for taking the time yes All right, today's show is brought to you by FreshBooks. Hey, freelancer, you know how important it is to make smart decisions for your business, right? Surely you do. Our friends at FreshBooks can save you 192 hours with their cloud accounting software because it's so easy to use. By simplifying tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and getting paid online, FreshBooks has hugely reduced, drastically reduced, the time it takes for their over 10 million customers to deal with their paperwork. I love FreshBooks. I use FreshBooks multiple times a week. One of my favorite things about FreshBooks is the fact that when I send an invoice, I'm able to see if somebody has received it, if they've seen it, and if they printed it. It stops me from having to do two things. Save a bunch of time in emailing people, but also trying to find ways to craft the awkward emails that go along with that. Like, oh, hey, have you seen that? Because I know if they've seen the invoice, right? So it's way easier to just be like, if, if somebody's late, I can just say, oh, hey, What's going on? I know they've already seen it. I don't have to ask them that question. And also, if you want to, FreshBooks can automate late payment reminders. So you never even have to spend any time chasing at all. FreshBooks is just magic. If you're listening to this and you're not yet using FreshBooks and you do any invoicing, now is the time to try it. Trust me, you should. FreshBooks are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show. There's no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and enter upgrade in the how you heard about a section so they will know that you came to them from this show. I'll just say again, you signing up for FreshBooks is one of the best decisions we made for our business. Trust me on this. Freshbooks.com slash upgrade. We thank FreshBooks for their support of this show. Disney have bought 21st Century Fox. 
Wow. I yep, heard about this and thought about it. And over the space of a day, like I felt like my brain was slowly expanding at <laughs> trying to understand the ramifications of this. It's huge. So let's just assume for the sake of this conversation that this deal will go through, right? Because there, there are many stumbling blocks for something like this, including legal ones. Let's just assume that it's going through. I think it makes the conversation more interesting that way. Sure. Um, and I want to try and clarify, and you can probably help me, exactly what it is that they've bought. So it seems like Disney is just buying most of the entertainment stuff, right? That like Fox News and the sports stuff is not going to be theirs. And that's not that's not entirely quite right. It's it's Fox broadcast, so all the channels, the TV channels that they own, and the network that they own in the U.S. is going to remain with the Murdoch family, as is their national sports and news channels. So FS1, FS2, Fox uh, News Channel, Fox Business Channel, those all are going to remain. And there are some competitive reasons for that, like. This would not ever be approved if the owner of ESPN also owned Fox right. Sports One. Okay. Like that's not gonna, or the owner of ABC owned the Fox Television Network, right? Yep. Like those are those are um, lined up too perfectly and would get knocked down in an antitrust uh, ruling. Uh, is so they're they're not gonna even try. Plus, I think the Murdochs want uh, that they view that as being kind of more in line with their traditional kind of newspaper background of like, then they've got these, you know, the news channels and the broadcast channels. Although there's real open questions. One of the ramifications of this, uh, is, uh, what that means for a Fox TV network that no longer has a studio attached to it because the whole way modern TV networks are built is that they're all owned by the same companies that own uh, TV studios that make programming. And so, you know, they one hand pays the other hand, right? It's all integrated. And uh, this Fox network's not going to have that, at least at the start. And that's, um, that's weird. So, so yeah. So those, anyway, those are, we can get into more of the details in a little bit, but those are the b- pieces that are staying. But the Fox studio and a bunch of other stuff, including their um, regional sports networks, which is why we have to make a distinct okay. distinction between that. Um, there are a bunch of channels in local markets in the U.S. that show baseball or, or basketball okay. or something that are owned by Fox that, that uh, Disney wants. So I guess, but like most of the stuff that you see on TV, if it's news and sports, is going to become its own entity that's not owned by Disney, right? It's going to become Fox broadcasting. Yeah, and still be controlled by the Murdochs, yeah. And the, and, the, and the TV network. There's an interesting tidbit that I saw in, in the uh, the Variety article on this. 21st Century Fox is currently trying to... They own a, a large stake in Sky TV. It was previously Murdoch's thing. It spun out, and now they're trying to get yep. it back again. Yeah. If 21st Century Fox succeed in taking over Sky, Disney would then take it. Uh-huh. Which is wild. Because... In this country, you have terrestrial television, which is free, which is paid for by the TV license. That includes a bunch of over-the-air channels, um, which you don't need the TV license for, but everybody can get those. It's the way that our digital works. We used to have five channels, then it got expanded when we went from analog to digital. Outside of that, we have like two and a half providers of television. One of those is Sky. I say half because uh, one of our telephone networks, BT, has some channels, but it's not. It's nothing really. They just have some sports stuff that people like to watch and a couple of original shows, but they're not. They're not a player. We have Sky and we have Virgin, and even then, 
when it comes to television, pretty much the only one that anybody goes for is Sky TV because they have everything. Right. Disney would own a huge portion of television in this country. Like That's right. That is wild to me that they would own that. Um, again, it's like... I don't know if the European Union have to okay this, but like for as long as the European Union are in control, which would still be at the point that this is happening most likely, <laughs> Maybe. I would yeah. be very interested to see what they have to say about this because it's like, it's weird. But anyway, let's get into some of the more interesting parts. I want to talk about some of the properties uh, that Disney will now own, right? Mm-hmm. They get a huge stake in Hulu. Their, their stake in Hulu goes up to 60%. At the same time that they are also launching their own streaming service. So I guess all the streaming services for Disney, uh, National Geographic and FX and all the programming that they produce. And then from just a, an idea of properties, Fantastic Four, Deadpool and X-Men all come back to Marvel. Avatar yep, and all of the upcoming Avatar movies. <laughs> the Simpsons which is the yeah. one that oh, yeah. blows my mind the most. Mickey Mouse and the Simpsons. That's right. <laughs> I saw somebody joking about this online that like but it's I guess it's kind of true that Marge becomes a Disney princess, I guess. Like how is that going to work? <laughs> <laughs> um sure. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yep. Futurama. X-Files too, yeah. The right? X-Files, mm-hmm. Family Guy. Disney own all this. Right, if they if they buy Fox, that's that's exactly what happens. It's a huge it's a huge library of content. Um, including pieces of the Marvel thing. I mean, again, the comic book nerd part of me is excited by the yep. idea that the Fantastic Four could appear in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But let's let's be honest, because I've seen people are like, oh, you should never talk about that. This is more serious than that. It's like, it is a super serious story with huge ramifications for how entertainment is consumed in the 21st century. Yep. But I will reserve a small amount of my um, of my oh, yeah, uh, brain you be excited about this for for thinking <laughs> what would it be like if yeah. the Fantastic Four, if Galactus showed up in in Avengers Four? Like that's uh, anyway. I, I just I put a, it out as there. A consumer of content, you can be excited about some of the ramifications of this. I think right where like X Men and the Avengers can come together. Right, like there is something exciting about that. It's something that we wanted to happen. But yes, at the same time, you can also fear the fact that one company owns everything you care about—a right? huge amount of a huge amount of stuff. Now, um, yeah, the, and there's a question. This is something that we actually talked about with Apple when we had that conversation about um, Apple supposedly wanting, uh, you know, family-friendly material. It should be able to be played. Apple TV shows should be able to be played on the big wall at the Apple Store. Mm-hmm. So, you know, no nudity, no grotesque violence, things like that. And and there's a question of like, what's Apple's media brand? Well, Disney is a good example of this too. That Disney is going to need Disney. We think of Disney, and we think of Mickey Mouse, right? We think mm-hmm. of Disneyland and Mickey Mouse and family-friendly and squeaky clean. But the fact is, Disney is a an enormous entertainment conglomerate that is not just Walt Disney and animation and Pixar, but it's Marvel and it's ESPN and ABC, right? Like there's more there and ABC and, and all of these things. And if they buy this, they're going to be, you know, basically 20th century Fox, uh, as well. And there's a question of the branding there, uh, it, but I would imagine that to a certain extent, they'll probably keep it because they're going to want to create brands or use existing brands 
for different purposes. And this is this is the important thing is that I don't think FX and FXX, the cable channels in the US that have much more adult fare on them are going to suddenly be held to the standard of uh, of a Disney brand for family-friendly entertainment. Yeah. Because that would be a colossal waste of their money to buy these things if they can't use them because they don't want them. You know, let's make It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia squeaky clean. It's like, it's not going to happen. It's not oh going to happen. God, You're the Disney worst. owns Always Sunny. Yes. Owns <laughs> You're the Worst. One of my favorite shows, which is not family-friendly at <laughs> all. Also, but it's like is- 20th Century Fox. Like, that brand is what it is. Like, I don't even attach it to Fox in my brain. Like it's not in my brain. They are like a wholly separate things. Yeah. So, and, so this, you know. th- this is the beauty of the branding, right? Is that Fox, Fox content will be Fox content and Disney content will be Disney content. They'll be owned by the same company, but that gives them the freedom to say, and this is where it comes into streaming too. So you mentioned Hulu. Mm-hmm. They're going to own 60% of Hulu. There's a real question about whether Comcast, which owns 30% of Hulu is, the way Hulu is structured, all the principals have on the board have to agree before there are major decisions made. So if they wanted to just turn Hulu into a completely their own thing, um, Comcast would either have to go along for the ride or would have to sell out. Because if they if they put their foot down and say, no, 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 we don't want Hulu to become another Disney streaming service, Comcast can stop them. Um, and then 10% is owned by Time Warner Cable, which is or by Time Warner, which is AT&T now or something like that. It's, it's yeah, anyway, it, it's it, they don't get to vote. <laughs> they just have 10%. So um, there's Hulu. Uh, they also bought BAM Tech, which is Major League Baseball's advanced media uh, streaming tech, which is the most advanced like video streaming platform around and streams HBO Go and streams all the sports in the US and just all this stuff. And uh, Disney owns a majority of that now. They bought they bought that out from Major League Baseball. So they have huge streaming infrastructure investments, both Hulu and BamTech. Um, they've already announced that they're doing two streaming services. They're going to do a, a uh, sports, an ESPN branded sports streaming service, and they're going to do a, uh, a another streaming service. I'm not sure if they've said what, what exactly it'll be branded, but the implication there is that like Marvel and Disney and Pixar might end up there. I think you look at this and think, well, they will probably do another streaming service or or they'll they'll for 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 fx or for fox content or something that's more adult um oriented and less sort of family entertainment action adventure kind of stuff and and why and you and you say to yourself for streaming services sounds ridiculous it's like yeah but for tv channels doesn't and this is where television is going right television is going to break down all the old broadcast channels are going to be for an increasingly older audience who's who's using traditional means of accessing uh of accessing tv and everybody else is gonna you know cut the cord and just subscribe to video services over the top at which point you're just going to pick and choose what three video services or four video services do you want to subscribe to and Disney's going to be out there and say, we got a sports thing for you. We got this, we got this uh, family thing for you. We got the, the Fox package for you. Take your pick or bundle them together and save money. And like they're, I really believe that that is what they're doing here is they are planning. This is a huge move that is planning for the future of, of, uh, of streaming video because they want 
not only all the channels, they want all the content. And they have this huge library of content that we've talked about that they're going to own. And they're going to be able to not only put it on their own services, but pull it off of everyone else's services. Which is why when I look at this deal, uh, I okay. I start to feel for Netflix <laughs> and Amazon to a certain extent. Although it's hard to feel too much for Amazon because they've got so much money. But um, I start to feel for Netflix. But Netflix knew this was coming. This is why Netflix spends so billions and billions of dollars on original content every yeah, year. They knew they were eventually going like, to lose this stuff. Netflix knows they need to build up a library of stuff that they own because they're going to lose everything else. And Netflix is going to stop being... It already is starting this down this path. It used to be everything on Netflix was made by somebody else and then it was sort of rerun on Netflix and some of that will still happen but in large part Netflix is planning for the day where they're like HBO they've got a they've got their own content that they make and you subscribe to Netflix for that they just raise their price like th- that's where they're going they're going to be a premium content channel basically like HBO where you you buy Netflix for Netflix originals not because there's old episodes of the Flash on it right and that's the Flash not owned by that's the Warner Brothers. It's the other entertainment conglomerate giant out there that is not uh, owned by Disney. So, yeah, that's the that's the interesting thing here is you get to the situation where um, Disney's saying, we don't want Netflix or Amazon between us and the customer. I'm Bob Iger, the, uh, the chairman and CEO of Disney, said this in the press release and in the conversations afterward when they announced this deal. Who is sticking around now? Like he's going to be, what, 2020, 2021, something like that? Yeah, my understanding is that one of the conditions of the deal, it sounds like, from Rupert Murdoch was um, that he wanted Bob Iger to not retire and 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 see this deal through. And Bob Iger had been saying he was going to retire, and everybody was skeptical of that. But now he's just he's agreed he's not going to retire for a while. Um, but anyway, one of his statements was, you know, our goal is to reach the customer directly. Like that's it. Period. So they're going to have a huge entertainment library. They're going to find ways to connect people to it, where you will give Disney money for their content directly. They will n- no more, um, no more middlemen. Basically, they want they want the whole relationship. And and I got to say, that's going to happen everywhere. I'm actually a little surprised that nobody has bought just bought Netflix yet, <laughs> because or that Netflix hasn't bought anyone yet, because I feel like this is, and I'm not saying that this is good, but this is where it's going. Like Disney is now going to be potentially a huge, huge player in this market. It's going to be very hard for um, some of these other uh, channels to compete. And 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 then who knows about Hulu? Hulu may remain this weird kind of. Uh, neutral zone where stuff gets dumped or it might just get repurposed into being that, you know, that brand that they use for a bunch of the Fox content. I don't know. But like the the world of streaming is about to completely change. Like these little feints with like CBS All Access is CBS trying to do the same thing, right? We want to go direct to our customers. Like that is just the the first little hint of what's about to happen, which is all these studios are just going to build their own services and go direct and leave Netflix out in the cold. What else? What else is left? And do you think they're going to buy anything else? Uh, I'm I'm not sure. After if they make this deal, I'm not sure what else they can buy uh, in, in terms of uh, in terms of big things because they will be so. Who owns DC? That's Warner. That's they the actually, other one. They straight up own DC. Yes. Okay. Yeah. DC Comics. DC Entertainment is a wholly owned and has been for years. Yeah. For decades, like forty years, uh, owned by Time Time Warner, Warner Communication. Back when it was just Warner. So they're owned by AT and T. No, not not yet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Not yet. Um the the so 
the other thing I wanted to mention here is is um, sports stuff, which is like I mentioned, ABC is out there, the broadcast channel, but but Disney owns ESPN. By buying ABC, they also bought ESPN. ESPN, huge sports brand in the U.S. Um, they also now are going to have Fox's regional sports network. So you put that in the package, you start to see uh, sports streaming service, which they've already announced, kind of shape up where they acquire rights to various sporting events and leagues and things, and they package them together. And the idea here is you may be able to buy your favorite team's games um, over the top by some way or other. But in theory, if you like sports, you probably like more sports than just the one. And a package of sports is going to be valuable to you. And they're building that too. And one of the funny things about sports is sports isn't for everyone, especially when we talk like we do now to a very tech audience. There's definitely a big portion of the audience who's like, oh, sports. I, I hate sports. There's a lot of tech people who don't like sports, but there's some of us like me who, who do. Um, but sports... Live sports is a big deal because it is super exclusive <laughs> and you want to watch it live. You don't want to, um, you don't want to wait, uh, and, and watch it later. You want to watch it right then. It's got a lot of power and, uh, and value and the people who want to see it will pay for it. And so sports is going to go in an interesting direction where a lot of stuff is going to go into a package like this. And they're making a play there. They, they figure they've got this ESPN brand that's really powerful. And so what if they use that to build like the default, if you want to watch sports in America, you buy ESPN streaming. And that's, that's it, period. That seems to be another thing that they're, they're after here. So I don't know. I, I don't know whether it'll all work and it's, a, it's complicated and they've got competitors. No um, but, but this is a deal that happens because I think more than anything else because of the future of streaming and be, for the content library. I'm actually a little surprised that they're buying the studio. I mean, I guess they have to buy the studio, but I think Disney is less interested in the studio because they have their own studios, although it gives them the capacity to to make more stuff. I mean, Star Wars has done very well for them, right? Like Marvel has done very well for them. Right. The more properties Disney owns, and if they handle them correctly, the better it seems to be. Yeah, and that, and that, one of the criticisms of this deal is similar, which is Disney is very focused on a smaller number of releases, and they're all big franchise releases. Whereas Fox actually has Fox Searchlight; they do some things that are lower budget and that are not huge fl- franchises. Disney may stop doing that, or they may continue and say that is also a market we want to serve. But I do wonder about reorganizing the rest of it if they roll all of the superhero stuff into. Uh, into Marvel Studios, and they take Avatar or some of their other franchise stuff and set up a, a a part of Fox that is just like this franchise incorporated. Or do they go to Lucasfilm and say, "We want you to expand and and uh, and also start making Avatar movies or something"? I don't know. I, I mean, probably not. But like, th- those are the options on the table for them. Is do they structure this business when they take it over? as being more siloed like Disney and Pixar and Marvel and Lucasfilm and create like other little story centers which focus on a particular set of brands and that's all they do? Or do they say, and we'll have this big bucket that's Fox that'll do some Foxy stuff, right? I don't know. It's a huge problem. It's It would be a very complicated thing. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs, because one of the things that they said is that they will, you know, re- reduce inefficiency, which means they're going to lay a lot of people off. But I do wonder if there's an opportunity for 
um, as Disney maybe brings down the amount of content they want to generate out of the Fox side of the business for other studios to step up and create more content. Um, I'm also, as I said earlier, kind of baffled about what's going to happen to the Fox network because the whole game now, if you is, if you're NBC, you buy your shows from, from Universal because that's own, that's the same company. Universal produces most of the shows on NBC, not all, but most, and you're double dipping there. Like it's profits because you're paying yourself. You get, you know, you have interest in the long-term success of the show plus the short term on the network. It's like this vertical integration. It is the way everybody does it. And that's why your favorite show, if your favorite show on your favorite TV network is owned by the network and produced by the network, it is far more likely to survive. But if you've got like a Fox show on ABC and they're looking at canceling shows, they're going to be more likely to cancel the Fox show because what do they care? They don't own it. They only broadcast it. So Fox Network now has no studio if this goes through. Are they going to set up a studio? Are they just going to buy? do they have? left that but, well the fox, show... fox fox broadcast i mean this is the thing is they they are a primetime network in the united states they have oh, okay. abc nbc cbs fox and and uh, the cw so they've got a network to program and a lot of the the shows on their network are existing shows that will go to disney like the simpsons and family guy and the x-files and you know you, you the list goes on and on and on right over time are they going to keep paying disney to make those shows for them will disney even let them <laughs> well um i mean it, it, they're going to be really attached with the fox brand and disney's still going to own them and you know it, it probably uh, to a certain extent because they're they're going to want the fox to pay them money for these shows that they used to own that's pretty good well but i mean until the point that disney is selling them to you directly right like through their app well yeah it's possible although my guess is that there are contracts that say like they that they have the right to keep renewing um the simpsons right. forever and if they keep picking up that option, The Simpsons will go on forever and Disney will just have to keep making it for Fox. But for a lot of money that Fox will be writing checks like back to Disney <laughs> to pay them to pay them back for, for having bought their stuff from them. It's oh, weird. Yeah. Um, That's so but, unfortunate. But there are, <laughs> so I've seen some speculation that says the Fox Network in the US could end up being like sports and reality shows and news specials and just like no entertainment anymore, which seems extreme, but it, it's not extreme to think right. that it might be way reduced from what it is now stuff that's uh, cheap because to they make. won't have a network. Yeah. Right. Well, and yeah. that, and that doesn't require a studio development, right? And like doing more reality TV shows is... Um, is something you can just contract out for and and put it on your network and I don't know it's a big it's a big thing this is going to change a lot of things in a lot of ways if it's approved because it is such a wide ranging deal and it's going to have impact on all of us um, especially in the U.S. but I think I think as you pointed out this is also a way for Disney to expand its tendrils overseas and Disney is it fancies itself a worldwide brand and it's going to have all this content and so you know they're going to be crafting packages of content that they're going to want to sell directly to us and that's all going to be you know they, they'll they'll still make things available on cable and satellite and stuff for traditional tv but this is about building new products for this next century for us to uh, pay them for instead of or in addition to amazon or netflix yeah, there there are like in my mind just huge implications if disney are able huge. to buy sky here right like yeah imagine oh, yeah. disney owning your television provider like <laughs> yeah 
That is I don't have massive. To, I don't have to, Mike, because NBC owns my television provider. Well, there you it's go. Comcast. What that's like then. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. It's it's wild. It's uh-huh. really wild. Um, yeah. So this whole thing, I mean, it's why it, I knew I needed to talk to someone about it and you were the person. Uh, and and I think that like this stuff becomes so much more applicable to technology as it goes in as it goes along because it's all about technology now, right? Like these companies are doing this because they want to be on the internet and they want to own it yep. themselves. And it's it is this one was just is absolutely wild. It, is this big? Uh, this is bigger than when they bought Marvel and Star Wars, right? Like this is bigger than that. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. By far. Because or, if or they Pixar. said like we're buying the Simpsons, that probably would have been on a similar level to we're buying Marvel or we're buying Star Wars, like just the Simpsons, right? Because like that is huge. It's probably the most successful television show of all time. That's a few billion dollars, but this is fifty-two billion. So there yeah, you go. Lucasfilm was like, yeah, yeah, a few billion. Pixar, a few billion. <laughs> this is all the money. How much money you got? All the money. All right. Today's show is also brought to you by Balance Open. Balance Open is a free open source Mac app for checking Coinbase. Now, why would you want to check Coinbase? Well, Coinbase is a popular marketplace for cryptocurrencies. You've heard of Bitcoin, right? I'm pretty sure you've heard of Bitcoin by now. Well, Coinbase is the marketplace for Bitcoin, Ethereum, and many more. And Balance Open is the best open source digital wallet to help you keep track of all the cryptocurrencies that you own. If you're not familiar with this stuff, that's okay. Balance wants to help teach you about cryptocurrencies. So you can dip your toe in the water a little bit in case you're interested. And they're going to do that by starting you on your way. The first 1,000 people that go to bal.money slash relay will receive $2 in Ethereum for free, or in Ether, I should say, as a gift from Balance. Go check it out today. Find out more. And try out Balance Open. It really is a great way to uh, to get to dip your toe in if you're interested. Our thanks to Balance for their support of this show. So the iMac Pro, huh? Yeah, it's here. I guess in between last episode uh, and now, it was announced for pre-order and then went on sale. And there's been some some review like. St- stuff come out it's basically uh-huh. been very similar to the iphone 10 in yes. that it's abnormal uh, it's an abnormal pr strategy so what's happened so far <laughs> is um apple has sent some units to youtubers like mbh mkbhd who put a great video together uh great to some video. developers uh like cable sensor um and it's been very different right like very different again they also had an event in new york which a bunch of people went to and were able to talk about their ex- like hands-on experiences. So, kind of like the iPhone, right? Like it's different. Yeah, it's uh, YouTube and uh, and developers and and other pro level people, video editors. Mm-hmm. And so, what they wanted to do is they wanted to go with some testimonials. And, and I, I would say why YouTubers this time is different. Why YouTubers this time is because YouTubers care about video. And I think not only are they capable of making good videos about the iMac Pro, but they also care because they are the customers for the iMac Pro in yeah. large part because yeah. they have to deal with video, but also developers and other other professional level people. And they got seated with units with an embargo and then were encouraged to talk about it. But like literally like Cable Sasser just did a Twitter thread. That was it. Yep. He did like seven tweets. That was the whole thing. And it was great. Um, and they also had this the, a PR event. My understanding is they had PR events in New York and in Cupertino, although okay. nobody talked about the one in Cupertino, but I believe they had one there. I didn't go. I, I didn't get invited to this one. Um, 
And it's again, they had like had people talk about the product and you could look at the product, but I don't believe most of those people, if any of those people got it right, they just, they got to see it and talk to people who had used it. And then they left yeah. like Renee Ritchie didn't check an iMac pro into his flight back to Montreal and Roman Loyola at Macworld got to go, uh, see the, the dog and pony show, but like he, he, he doesn't have an iMac pro either. So, um, and some of that is, I think, severe product constraints it's still coming out and um yeah it's just different so so we end up at we're in this weird situation where kind of all we have even now is a very select group of people who were in that seed and even the press coverage that followed weren't really reviews right they were like hands-on yep um not much different than i mean we didn't get to do hands-on at wwdc because the product wasn't really real it was kind of running a loop and we could walk around it but that's about all we could do and this was like the equivalent of okay well now you've got your hands-on area you can look at it and poke it and at it and ask it questions and stuff like that (laughs) hello computer but uh that's it that's all I mean, I'd maybe argue that this one doesn't need a lot, right? Like people that want yeah. this machine are going to get it. They just want to know the specs and the Geekbench scores well, now, I, right? Like I, it's. I know. think, I think the challenge here, though, is that one thing that Apple didn't do, as far as I can tell, is seed this to um, a bunch of people who are going to give it the. Um, well, let me rephrase this. I think Apple struggles sometimes with how to reach a pro audience which is funny because Apple used to be all about that, but Apple is totally not about that now. And the pro audience is not the consumer audience. And I think that there is sometimes a struggle within Apple about how do you, they've gotten so good at reaching a consumer audience and then you get a pro product and they, sometimes they want to market it as a consumer product. Like even though they know it's a pro product, they use their tools of marketing consumer products to market a pro product. And uh, so how do you reach the people who want to use this product? Um, getting people who are like them to try it out and talk about it is one way. And they did that, which I think is really interesting. I am, I guess, a little surprised that they didn't make an effort to find a handful of people like, like shouldn't, I'm going to use Gruber as an example. Like if there's anybody who's got like the hardest core people who use Apple products and, and the hardest core, like um, not the consumer market, but people who really, really, really care. Somebody like John Gruber is a good example of that. Like, wouldn't you want him to write about the experience and show some Geekbench scores and other stuff? The counter argument would be that there's nothing in his workflow that requires an iMac Pro. And so he's, 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 got a, he's qualified to talk about it from an audience perspective, but not necessarily the kind of person who would actually use the features of the product and be able to talk about them. And this is the challenge in general. Like, who do you find who has an audience that is the right audience and also has the experience? And and that's why I think they go to, like, some of these video editors and scientists who are able to write these amazing things about this. So I get it. I get the strategy. But it's a hard one. Like, it's it's actually a hard one. There used to be whole media organizations that specialized in covering high-end creative hardware, right? But they don't exist anymore. The fact is they don't really exist anymore. Not 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 that many of them, if if any. Um and mostly it's just like a person somewhere. So um this was a this was yeah, I, I, I get why they did it this way. It's a little bit different and a little bit weird, but I get I get it. Um I'm 
you know, I'm intrigued by it myself because I am now, and Stephen Hackett and I talked about this um, last week, just per, not on a podcast, just personally. Wait, about, what? Um, <laughs> I know, right? How do you talk yeah. and not record it and release it, it as a exist. podcast? Because he does a lot of video for his YouTube channel and, and, you know, he and I and you, you know, a lot of people we know do a lot of audio stuff. And so we actually do have the opportunity to use this stuff. And so I'm intrigued by um, what kind of a difference this new hardware would make versus like I've got a three-year-old 5K iMac and it's great, but this thing is going to be... you know, not these. These are not the usual. Like next year's model is f- is five percent faster. Next year's model is four percent faster. Next year's model after that is three percent, five percent, six percent faster. This is like forty percent to sixty percent faster on some stuff. Like it's it's a big jump. Like it, it's not cheap, but it's a big jump too from like a high end iMac. Let's talk about the product a bit. Um, um what can you buy right now? Right, because it's not all available right now. You can't buy every configuration, can you? I, I don't, you know, I don't know the details of it. I can tell you that it sounds like there are some that are shipping now and there's some that are not shipping now. Because you can't get the 18. Right. Yeah, the 10s and the 8s, you can't get the 18 right now. So there's, for whatever reason, that's coming next year. Yeah, I mean, and, and some of them you order them and it's for four to six weeks out. It's fine. Yeah. So, you know, and then there's a bunch of different options, right? You've got, like, so what is the upgradability like, in your opinion? Like, if you, you've looked at this stuff. They have a vast array of things. I mean, you can get one up to, like, 13 grand. You know, you can play that fun game. I love to play that game, right, where you just, like, tick every box, right? Include every accessory, and you can get it up to, like, 13,000. But in there yeah. are a bunch of different configurations. Kind of what what has been your take on what's available and the pricing <laughs> for all of these? Well... The pricing seems, you know, it's all about perspective. It's a computer that starts at $5,000. So, like, right there, 95% of people are out. Because <laughs> you don't need a computer that... My my father-in-law asked me last week, he said, I need to buy a new iMac. Should I buy the iMac Pro? And I was like, oh, God, no. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Right? I mean, nobody needs nobody needs this thing. <laughs> There's a very small group of people who need this. And that's where it starts. And then it goes up rapidly from there. I've heard, like Mark Arment was saying, that he's really enamored of the 10-core model because it sounds like the 10-core model has a really good single-core performance. It seems like, a and, and of course, 10 cores, um, that it's a good balance. But, of course, that's a, you gotta you got to pay that much more in order to um in order to get there so um it it sounds like you know this is an expensive computer that uses expensive parts and it is every single one of these steps is going to ascend you further and further into the stratosphere of price from from you know it's like climbing mount everest you're already starting at a pretty high altitude at five thousand dollars and then it goes up from there so um I don't know. I mean, for me personally, like if I was going to get one of these, which I probably am, um, I did order one. Um, it's the base model. Like I can't justify, I think, any more than just give me the base model because the base model is probably a little too much for me. But it's so much more than the than just buying a new iMac that I think it might be worth doing to to pay the extra and get that much more um, power. So in regards to upgradability, it's basically none, right? Like is after the fact. Once this thing has arrived in your home, the most you can do, I believe, is get RAM changed at a authorized service center, right? Either at an Apple store or a service provider. But that's that's it, right? 
it's who knows, right? I mean, a lot of Apple products come out and then it turns out, well, that's a custom SSD module, but we can reverse engineer it and build new SSDs and pop it out and put a new one in. Like that, some of that happens, but it sounds like right out of the box, there's no RAM slot and everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh no, the RAM's not upgradable. And Apple said, well, it actually is, it's not user replaceable. We didn't bother to build in a door, but anybody who does service can basically, it sounds like take off the back and put in new RAM. Like, it, it it's not there's a slot it's not it's not soldered on or anything there's a there's a slot and it's allowed and you can do it and they said it's not even like apple only it's apple authorized service basically or avoids i guess avoids your warranty or something like that but basically yes any tech uh who is authorized can pop it open and put in new ram it's just not meant to be user upgradable where you you know get out your screwdriver and pop open the door and stick in ram modules yourself yeah, and once people were able to, well, once people got these things, right, the people that did, it was discovered that there is a processor inside of these called the T2. What is that? Well, I mean, we don't know, but the T1 was on the touch bar, and that was the ARM processor that everybody said was basically an Apple Watch processor. And it sounds like the T2 is basically an A10, although, because the rumors were there was an A10 in it, and that's not quite right. Um, So I guess... You know, it, this is this is the hybrid Mac like phase two, and there's a real question about where they're going from here. But this is a this is a Mac with an ARM processor, and the ARM processor is doing a lot of stuff. It's doing security stuff. It's controlling the webcam. Um, it is replacing a lot of uh, like the 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 startup uh, hardware, firmware. Um, all of that stuff is being rolled into this. So when you start up, it's verifying. You can you can set encryption on a system level at startup. Um, you know, it's a lot of stuff that they are building into this processor to do a lot of the load that used to be done by custom components or by the system itself uh, as it boots. And uh, that's really interesting, right? Because now you've got a Mac that has this, the Mac architecture is now starting to deviate from the norm a little bit further of a, of like a PC an Intel PC by having this custom Apple Silicon that's doing all these things. And, um, for me, the question is, is this going to end up being an outlier or is this the future of the Mac? And my gut feeling is this is the future of the Mac. My gut feeling is that Apple would like to start using its ability to custom design processors, ARM processors that it's very good at, to start changing the Mac experience in order to use the features of the ARM processors that are um, superior to what's in the existing Mac hardware, like security and having a secure enclave and running running the webcam through there. One of the ideas there is that that, that provides more security because you've actually got to be unauthenticated uh, something or other in order to turn the camera on and see the pictures and that that's better, like that's more secure if you're running it through an authenticated something or other. In your Dealy. article... It's technical, technical term yeah, or something. Uh, Thingamababa jigger. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's our, in it's our your thingy. article, um, what you wrote about the iMac Pro on Six Colors, you re- made reference to the fact that the iMac that both me and you use, the 5K iMac, iMac, has received lots of updates through its life, right? Multiple revisions, multiple speed bumps. Do yes. you think that the iMac Pro will follow this life cycle? This is the so just as we had this question of like, does the T2 augur a future where most Macs become these hybrid machines that have a lot of their subsystems and security and all that offloaded to one of these custom Apple processors? 
we have to ask our question, will this get updated? <laughs> like that's that's the other big question here. Like we can't tell right now whether this is the start of a glorious future or whether this is going to be another one-off like the Trashcan Mac Pro. Now, Apple didn't want the trash can Mac Pro to be a one-off. It sounds like they made some they they made some mistakes, made some mistakes. and realized yeah. they they painted themselves in a corner. But we won't know it until we see it. Like this is one of the big questions about the Mac in general is okay, they did speed bumps to the the uh, MacBook Pros uh, in less than a year after they were released. Great. Step 1, like what's next? Like keep showing us that in 2018 well, I mean, iMac Pro is sort of shipping at the at the very beginning of 2018. So, like, in 2018 or early 2019, iMac Pro needs to get updated. That Mac Pro, whenever they release it, a year out-ish, it needs to get updated with the latest and greatest that is coming from Intel and from the, the you know, the, the maker of the GPU. Like, the MacBook Pro needs to keep up being updated. The Mac Mini needs to come back to life. All of the all of the Macs need to be on a refresher cycle, especially the Pro Max. That there isn't like way superior part parts out there from Intel and and other companies that we all know are out there, and that Apple's like, eh, we're still selling this for full price, even though the, it's last year's part. That is the big question mark. I think Apple has made moves in the direction of uh, recognizing that that's a problem and addressing it. But until they actually do it, it doesn't, you know, words are, words are one thing, uh, deeds are the other. So we need, to, we need to see them actually walk the walk and do that. So it will be a crushing disappointment if the iMac Pro lingers for two years unupdated. It's just, you know, because its audience is paying to be on the cutting edge. And once the cutting edge moves, the product needs to move to match it. And, you know, I, I hope they do that. I don't see why you would put, I mean, why are you putting all the effort into something like this and then letting it sit? You, you gotta, you gotta keep it updated. So it's been about four years, four years since the Trashcan Mac Pro, the last new Pro desktop. Yeah, it's four years to the week. Four years to the week. But the iMac is just the first of the two, right? The Mac Pro is still coming. Yeah, this is what I wrote about on Six Colors was that this is the first shoe dropping, right? Um, somebody asked me, like, what's the deal with the metaphor of shoes dropping? And it's like, well, there's always two. Yeah. So if the, if, if a shoe drops you can and you hear it, you can hear that there will be a second shoe to drop. You just have to wait for it. And that's the Mac Pro. Like, the way we read the iMac Pro is totally different, I think, than we would have read it if we had known that it was the replacement for the Mac Pro and there was never going to be a Mac Pro. Like, yep. then all the burden of professional Mac line falls on the iMac Pro. And I think the criticism of the iMac Pro for being, like, not expandable and all these things, which it's an iMac it's a pro iMac it, it is iMac's in the name it's not going to be super expandable with like graphics cards you can pull out and stuff it was never going to be the case but if it was the only pro Mac pro desktop Mac it you'd be a little more justified in saying well why does Apple not have anything more modular in in its uh, product lineup but they shifted gears and announced they were going to do a Mac Pro and it was going to be modular and so um, that's coming presumably in 2018 and uh that's interesting because how how does the market break the pro high-end market break down for mac products and um i saw somebody somewhere i can't even remember where it was on twitter or in slack or something uh, i actually saw one person ask if the mac pro is coming out how are they going to sell any imac pros what's the market for this and somebody else said with the imac pro how many how how can they sell any mac pros mm -hmm. because all, what's the market for that 
<laughs> and I think that's the answer is that there, there's a market for both. They're different. Yep. Not For every person who says, I would never buy an iMac if I could buy a Mac Pro, there's somebody else who says, I would never buy a Mac Pro if I can buy a Pro iMac. It's Right? I think that they're both legitimate. The question is, how well are they going to sell? You know, it, it, Apple needs to remain committed. It's a small market, although it's profitable, but it's a small market. You know, can Apple remain committed to them? Because it's good for the platform if they are. So you're getting one, right? You have ordered one? I ordered one. It, my, my credit card actually uh, kicked it back and said, uh, $5,000 charge, that seems <laughs> no, no, no. large. <laughs> and I had to call them and say, no, that's right, please authorize that and then go back to Apple. And Apple actually has obviously has experience with this because um, they have a form. I've never experienced this before. They have a little form that basically says you can put in a new credit card number or uh, if there's a radio button for like, just reauthorize this. This is the, you've called your credit card company. It says, if you've already yep. called your credit card company and told them to authorize this, just select this and pre- and we'll reauthorize it and your transaction will continue. Because this must which happen I did, with a huge did. percentage of their of their customers, right? It's uh, Yeah, all of a sudden there's a $4,000 purchase or an $8,000 purchase for Apple Even stuff. Even a $1,000, right? Like yeah, $1,000 right? is, a, you know, that's for most people pretty much most people that is an incredible amount of money right like when i bought my iphone it kicked off a fraud charge yeah all of these credit cards have to have these little bots that are in there going oh no fraud alert fraud alert let's flag this this is too much um so anyway yes i did i bought the baseline configuration i have heard rumors that they are in they might be in stores this week so i may call or drift on over to my um Mm -hmm. local apple store and see if they've got one in stock and uh, because that would be better than having. Uh, I, I'd like to just get it and bring it home. Of course, could I? Can I charge it? Will any of my credit cards work? <laughs> That's an open question. No, no more Apple charges. No. But uh, yeah, that's that's the plan. And I I've gone back and forth on it, and I'm still you know I could save a lot of money and buy a high end iMac uh, the, of the 2017 variety, a three years newer than mine iMac, and I would get a better screen. I would get faster SSD. I would get a faster processor if I did that for a couple thousand dollars less than the iMac Pro. Um, And so I thought about that. But to me, the reason I'm really interested in the iMac Pro is that I will get all of those benefits and I'll get more cores, more processor cores and and a faster graphics card, which is not as important to me. But the processor cores and fast storage are important to me. And it's because of video and especially audio work that I do. Like I do so much, you know, especially with uh, incomparable stuff where you've got a lot of people who are not professional podcasters like you and me. Mm. Um, And the audio quality of their setups varies widely. I mean, there are a lot of ones with like, there's loud hums in the background and buzzing and background noise. And I have some crazy expensive and really great plugins that remove all that stuff, but they're so slow. They use all the cores that you can throw at them. And I had that moment where I thought, imagine taking an hour of denoising four-hour-long audio files for seven people and turning it into 30 minutes or 20 minutes. Like, every time I do it, just shaving all of those sessions in half. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's I, I'm kind of up for that because, you know, I'm essentially spending money to save myself a lot of time in those situations. Plus, um, you know, video encoding is another good example of that. And, uh, and so right now that combined with the fact that I do write about Apple stuff for a living and nobody is getting (laughs) iMac pros right now, except for that small group. 
Um, that also makes me kind of tips me over the edge in wanting to get one so that I can actually dig in and write about it. I'm not getting one. No, I don't want one. I don't need one. It's uh, it's extre- it's extreme, and most of the stuff you do, you're not um, you're not doing those four hour uh, three three four hour seven people on a panel with lots of buzzing in the background sessions like I am. Most of the people you talk to, if I have to open Isotope, which is the 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 noise processor that we use. If I have to open Isotope, something bad has happened. Something, yeah, yeah, something is really, really wrong. Yeah. Right, because I work with people that have mostly controlled environments. So needing yes. to open Isotope RX6, which is what we use, um, I'm in for a bad time, typically, when, yeah. when I've yeah. opened that. So that, like, that means something, fine. something has gone wrong. <laughs> and, you know, like, yeah. I get that it would be faster for bouncing and stuff like that, but honestly, I've my workflow is set up in such a way that I'm never sitting and waiting. Like if I'm bouncing, I'm doing something else in another window. That's part of the podcast, like publishing process. Right. Which has to occur. So like, sure. I don't feel doing the show notes. Exactly. The (laughs) iMac 5k is way more computer than I need already. Um, I can't see myself upgrading this one for a couple of years. Um, honestly. So I get why a lot of people want it. If you're dealing with 4K video, um, if you're doing really heavy processor-intensive stuff like you are, like developers are, this machine seems amazing for you. I have no interest in it. I'm honestly casting my eye towards what the Mac Pro might be. It could be a more interesting thing for me if I can like custom build it to the way that I want it and it not cost five grand. Who knows? It could be cheaper, could start cheaper. We don't know anything about it, right? So I'm kind of more interested in that as a potential future computer for me, but I, we have no way of knowing right now what it's even going to be. So the iMac Pro... I'm not going to jump into this if I can't take if I can't see what else is coming, right? Like I'm not going to jump into this one if I don't know what else is going to happen. So, so yeah. Okay, so we are going to talk about Star Wars: Last Jedi in a moment, but I just before we do, let's just talk about scheduling for the rest of the year for a for a quick. oh yes. Uh, ask, hashtag Ask Upgrade is going to be taking a, a break for a few weeks because we have special segments and shows replacing regular scheduled programming so keep sending mm-hmm. in please your hashtag ask upgrade questions over the next few weeks we'd love to hear about them all of your questions we love them please continue to send those in i'll say this now because today we're not doing it we're not doing it next week or the week after so i'll say it now so you remember to keep sending them in because we're going to need them in january right so hashtag ask upgrade Indeed. for any questions that you have for us because once we come back from our break we're going to be talking about star wars the last jedi there will be spoilers you have been warned Next week, we're going to be doing an upgrade holiday special. We have some fun segments and some special guests. And potentially, possibly, who knows, a mic at the movies. We'll see. You'll see. The week after, that's going to be coming out on Christmas Day, on the 25th of December. So you get the first ever upgrade holiday special. The week after that, on January 1st, as we mentioned earlier, is going to be the Upgradies. So you can look out for that one. It's the the most glitzy night of the year. And then the week after that, Back to regularly scheduled programming, which will be on January 8th. Well, okay. We're actually going to be releasing on January 9th, but like that week, uh, things are back to normal again. Um, We're going to be releasing on Tuesday for the first couple of weeks of January, but that shouldn't affect you except for the fact that the day is going to change. But the the shows will be normal. We've got that at least. Yes. 
Yeah. Oh man. But if you're looking for a normal show released on a normal day, it will not be until January. You got a month. Sorry yeah. You that. got you got a month for that. But the show yeah. will be returning to regular content programming um, in the middle of January. But we have some excellent shows uh, for you over the next couple of weeks, which we've both been working very hard on, and we think that you're going to love them. But without further ado, let's take our final break of the episode and talk about Encapsula. Encapsula will help you delight visitors to your site while frustrating attackers or because of their bulletproof security options and fast content delivery network. Some seriously huge companies use Trust Encapsula every day, Fortune 500 companies. But whether you're a big company, small company, one person, a million people, it doesn't matter. No matter how big your site is, Encapsula can help protect you. This is why over 100,000 organizations love and use Encapsula every day. They will block your site from attackers and keep the experience lightning fast and super smooth so your visitors can enjoy your content undisturbed and uninterrupted. The customer service team have years of security and networking expertise and they are at your disposal 24-7. You'll get personal account management and the best service level agreement in the business. Whether you're a one-person website or a huge company, Encapsula have got you covered. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. Just go to encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. Check it out now to find out more about what Encapsula can do for you and claim that free month. Give Encapsula a try. You're not going to regret it. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. So, Jason, what is the sound we play at this time? It's the spoiler horn, which is also the sound of John Syracuse humming while he holds his fingers in his ears in order to prevent spoilers from uh, playing during movie trailers that he's watching. Turns out. Turns out. So, here we are then. Another Star Wars movie. It is. It is episode eight. The The ninth Star Wars movie. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Uh, Last Jedi. So... I will say, um, I only saw the first trailer for this movie and then stayed away from the rest. Um, So I didn't know what a Porg was, but I knew people were talking about it beforehand, Mm. but I didn't know what it was. I hadn't seen them because I'd never seen any trailers. And it's just mostly accidental. Uh, I saw the first one because it came out and I wanted to watch it. And somehow, for some reason, I missed the debut of the second trailer. And then multiple weeks later, when I realized this had occurred, I just figured I'll avoid it. Like, and I didn't go to great lengths. I just didn't watch it, right? And all of the movies that I went to see didn't show it. They just showed the original one. So I stayed away. So I think I went into this movie uh, mostly mostly free of practically any spoilers. Um, There were obviously a couple of scenes that I saw, but I didn't think that they told much of the movie. The original trailer, to my eyes, made it kind of seem like Luke was a bad guy. Um, and so that was kind of where I was going into the, into the, because yeah, like <laughs> Je- the Jedi's will be no more, right? Like that's kind of all I really knew going into this. And, uh, I liked this movie a lot. I really did. Um, for me personally, I felt more during The Force Awakens. And this was how I expected to feel. Uh, you know, The Force Awakens showed to me and to many others, that a good Star Wars movie could still be made. And yes. that in and of itself was an incredibly emotional experience that this movie was never going to be able to provide me because I went into this expecting nothing less than a great movie, right? And that was what I got. So I'm happy about it, 
but I'm not going crazy for it. Yeah, the Force Awakens job was to reassure everybody, was to reestablish the franchise. I mean, I think the criticism I see of it is mostly that it plays so many of the original trilogy notes, but that was the whole reason. I mean, this is my argument from two years ago, so you can go back and listen to it then too. It, Of course it plays the original trilogy notes. That's why it exists. It, it exists to reassure people yep. and reestablish like that Star Wars is back and all those things that you love from the original trilogy, those kind of concepts, we get it. You know, the prequels were very different. And but this is like no no we're going back to kind of the original recipe that in in Force Awakens we're going to make you feel happy and warm and uh, you know it's just going to be a good feeling about the Star Wars that you remember. The Last Jedi's job is to and and I really wondered going in it's like are they going to take steps away from what um, what they've done before because I would have been really disappointed if the Last Jedi was just a riff on Empire Strikes Back. Like, literally, we're just going to keep riffing on those first three yep. movies forever. Yep. And The Last Jedi is absolutely not that. It's aware that it's the second movie, and it's aware of uh, Empire Strikes Back at, at several points, references it kind of backward, which I think is really interesting. But it, it it does things that you don't expect. It does things that don't happen in the original trilogy until much later, or not at all. Um, it's got, yeah, it's got nice references to, to the original trilogy and to The Empire Strikes Back in particular, but it's doing different stuff. And it is, tr- it is trying to, as much as uh, Force Awakens was about reassuring you that it was Star Wars, this is a movie saying, and it's going to change. And Star Wars is more than you thought it was. And you need to question some of the fundamental assumptions of Star Wars yep. while you're watching this movie. And I, for me, that's the richest thing in it. I think that this movie has a lot of flaws. <laughs> um, and there are parts of it that I, that I, I wouldn't say I don't like, but feel inessential. And in a two and a half hour movie, they probably should have not done them. But um, overall, I liked it. And the thing I liked about it most was the um, attempt to kind of like steer your thoughts about like and your assumptions about what Star Wars is into some new places and question some of those assumptions. And if if I had a one line, well, I don't know if this is one line, but if I had one takeaway from The Last Jedi, it would probably be what Luke says, which is this is not going to go the way you think. And that's on purpose, like on purpose, that's what this movie does. And I really like that. Because um, I like being challenged a little bit. I, I think there, I think more thought went into the philosophy and the themes of yeah. this movie yeah. than we probably deserve from a big budget, um, a big budget action uh, blockbuster, right? I mean, in a way that like um, the Winter Soldier, I felt the same way about that the Winter Soldier was actually about something while there were explosions and superheroes. And The Last Jedi is kind of like that, where I really like the intelligence behind it, even though, you know, yeah. So I'm going to grade it up on that, even though that there are parts of it that that I thought were kind of, um, uh, you know, extraneous or there were some bad decisions that were made. Yeah, there was an awful lot of world building, right? Like a lot of the logic for the future of this franchise was put together in this movie. I could I could do a whole I may actually at some point do a whole podcast about the the Jedi because one of the things that happens in this movie is that Luke Luke says and it's also the first direct reference to the prequels in these new movies Luke basically says don't 
don't talk about how great the Jedi were. At the height of their power, they allowed essentially the Emperor, Darth Sidious, Palpatine, uh, to take over and, ter- and, and create the Empire. So the Jedi blew it <laughs> and they ruined it for everyone and keeping in mind that luke never met any jedi like at their height he only met the last vestiges of them who were you know ben and yoda um luke is like a has lost his faith in the force he's closed mm-hmm. himself off from the force but he's especially lost his belief in the jedi and that scene with yoda which is my favorite scene in the movie i think non-action scene my favorite thinking scene um not only is it incredibly nostalgic and references Empire Strikes Back, but that's Luke and Yoda saying, burn it to the ground. Like the Jedi is not as uh, the Jedi order was kind of past its time and it failed. Um, and you've been thinking and th- what this movie says is, hey, all of you people who love Star Wars, you've been thinking about the force wrong the whole time. That's amazing that a movie, a Star Wars movie would just essentially come out and say, yeah, all of that light and dark split um, and how great the Jedi are and how the light is going to save us from the dark. That's probably wrong. Good luck, Ray. Yeah. <laughs> that's, You're on that's amazing. But that's what, that's what this movie does. It's amazing. Um, one of my favorite parts was, I, I honestly feel like was a nod towards the, the heavy fans, like the people that really think about this a lot, you know, like, like we do. When Kylo Ren was like, your parents are nobody. Why do you think that they would have to be somebody? And it's like to all of the theories about who yes. Ray's parents were. And like right. he's just like, why do they have to be anyone? They're nobody. And they don't matter. Isn't that great? This I is a saga that. about yeah. the star the, the about the Skywalker family and who is going to save the day in the end, who's gonna save the universe, assuming that that's what happens in episode nine. It's gonna be a girl from nowhere who is no one. Yep. And a stormtrooper who was just, you know, again, taken away from his family and trained as a stormtrooper. He's no he's a nobody. I mean, these are these are these are nobodies. And the, the fate of the Jedi is in the hands of this girl from nowhere who is nobody. And that, I think that's great. That's like that that the the Skywalker clan has a lot uh, going against it, right? <laughs> between between Ben Solo and Anakin Skywalker, it, they have done a lot of bad mm-hmm. and and Luke couldn't really kind of Count, all of the effort that they put in in the, in the rebellion and here they are with the first order still kind of reigning supreme it's it's th- the th- the themes in this are are so strong like where where the movie falls down is in is in some of the plot mechanics um and the set pieces actually the set pieces are all strong too it's just some of the plot mechanics are wonky but um the themes are really strong like i love this movie as much for the themes of um you know, questioning the Jedi and the fact that she's not from anywhere. Um, and the, you know, all, all of that is just, that's the richness of it that I thought that I really liked. I cried a lot. Uh, basically anytime <laughs> Leia was on screen, I just started crying. It's hard. And of it course totally changes the way scene when she's in space. And I'm like, this is it. Yeah. This is when they kill her. And it's just, that was it, man. I was, I was basically bawling in the cinema um. Then, basically, then every time she appears, I'm like, "This is it. This is what I'm gonna." Because I didn't know. Turns out that they've already filmed filmed all of her stuff for Episode Nine, right? I had no idea about any of that. No, no, no. That's not true. Is that not true? No, okay. that's not true. No, they they filmed they filmed her to survive, and then she was going to be in Episode Nine, and now she's died. Uh, Carrie Fisher died, so they will have to write her out off screen. Oh, um, okay. But what they didn't what they didn't do what they could have done is reshot the movie to have her just die there. Right now, now that we know 
that she gets blown out of the ship with Admiral Akbar. R.I.P. Admiral Akbar. It was a trap. Um, The (laughs) he was right in the end. It was a trap. So um, the the fact that uh, they didn't they wanted to save her performance. Right. This is her last performance um, to be seen. And they could have reshot to have her just be dead and have the rest of that happen, you know, have, have somebody else stay behind or have Laura Dern still stay behind, but have one of the other characters lead them off and talk to Poe. They could have reshot that stuff and just had her be dead. And, and they didn't because they want, they wanted to keep Carrie Fisher's performance and they, they should have, and that that's the right thing to do. They should keep her performance. It's, it's great to see her. She gets that scene with Luke. We couldn't have, couldn't have had that scene if they'd killed her off earlier. Um, it, it is too bad that she doesn't get like a bigger send off that, but you know to your point the movie cannot be seen as it you know it wasn't written for this to be the last time we saw carrie fisher but that's what it is so it changes all of those scenes and seeing carrie fisher knowing that this is the last we'll see of her every every one of those scenes is heightened because of that it makes it hard to watch in places but it it was great like everything that she did in the movie was was great. Yeah, you apparently know? she she did a lot of the um the dialogue with Ryan Johnson. She did a lot of the script doctoring and worked on a lot of her dialogue. So really? because that was what she did is she was a script doctor. So um yeah, so apparently a lot of her a lot of her uh the Leia lines and and some of the dialogue with other characters was uh was Carrie Fisher working on that with Ryan Johnson. So that's, that's kind of fun too. Mm-hmm. I was confused a lot by the end of this movie. I it really took me a while to understand what had happened. I didn't re- I mean I I got the idea that Luke could somehow teleport himself even though like or, well project himself project, right? himself, project himself I guess but that that still frustrated me to a point because it was like this is a type of this you've never seen this before right the way well, that he was doing it because you, you there are sort force of saw it Right. Yes. But, but that, you that sort of saw like it with. I, I think the movie is using the conversations between Ray and Kylo Ren to establish that the Force can project people across distances to a certain degree, and then I think Yoda um, whacking him with his stick is meant to imply that. You can have you can interact with objects potentially even if you're a a, a ghost or a phantom or a whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's not it's not heavily set up. I think they didn't want to lean into it too much because they but wanted like, it to be a reveal. And ha- like half the people then, I talked to d- d- were didn't realize that that was yeah. the solution, and half the people did. I didn't. Like, I was surprised. <laughs> even then, it's like there have been so many Star Wars movies, and like this was no one had ever done this before. And then like so, it turns out everyone can do this and has been doing it, but just no, they just never thought to show us it. Like that. Well, that I kind don't of- know. Right, like Snoke was powerful enough that he could bridge their two minds, um, but it, but it was obviously like it took that amount of power. And the implication at the end of the movie, right, is that it took everything that Luke had to do that. Yeah, well, and that was that was basically the next it killed him. So let's just assume that like that's the case. It was like it was kind of strange to me that it was just like he used his force so hard he died. It like that was like yeah. I don't, I don't fully. I mean, okay, like I <laughs> can see that it's happened, but like that just seems kind of weird to me in a way. Well, like I, I, yeah, it didn't bother me. Um, at the same time, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, okay, all right, I could, I could buy that. 
but I had I did have that moment of um does he I mean Obi-Wan in in the original Star Wars basically reaches that moment where he he lets Darth Vader hit him but at that point he's already gone right so it, I think Luke intended this to be his last act to st- to set the the generation off and to and to sacrifice himself but like did it kill him or was the plan that he would become a ghost when this was done? I don't know. What did he, you know, either way. Um, I liked it again, it not set up great. I like the twist because it was not set up great. There was a nice twist that surprised me. Um, and I like it. I like it kind of thematically that, that this is his last act. Yeah. Um, but I, I see, but I see your point where it could be confusing. I, I wasn't confused by it, but I can see it. My, my only problem with all of this was the fact that I watched the movie ended and I didn't fully understand what had happened. Like That's not great. Not a great uh, outcome. Like, after going through it all, like, talking like talking about it, no, like, yeah, it's like, okay, I get all of that. It makes sense, right? That he would sacrifice himself. He knows he's not needed anymore. Like, he knows there's other people. He knows they're powerful, etc., etc. Believes that maybe he is not, he's like a harm to it, right? Because he knows he's not perfect because he was, he had a moment where he wanted to kill like his nephew, yeah. right? Like, you know all that stuff. So it's like he's he knows he's not great, and he knows that Ray is good, and that she's strong, and she's powerful, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's like he can see and that his and, place isn't and also, there anymore. And also that everything, like you know, Yoda burns down the tree. Like, yeah. Also, the theme here is burn it all down. Like, yep. he needs to. He, I think he feels he needs to be out of the picture, and let and 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 then one of the other themes of this movie is the movie you're expecting to see is that the rebels, what you saw in the first trilogy, which is the rebels. Okay. They had a setback, but they're going to be on their way and they're going to finally win in the end. And what this movie says is no, this is the low point. They're gone. All that they can hope, they can't hope to win right now. All that they can hope to do is spark a new rebellion. As Luke says, the new rebellion starts today. And, uh, and and I'm not the last Jedi. That's Ray. Mm-hmm. And this is the handoff. This is saying the old generation has taken you to this point. We can't take you any further, as Yoda says. You know, the the thing we have in common is that is that uh, they you know they outgrow us. Basically, they they don't need us anymore. They they need to be their own people. And that's what this is all about. Is there's going to be a new rebellion now, and they're the ones who are going to have to take it the rest of the way. And so thematically, it all works in there. Like Luke is part of the old system that even Kylo Ren says like it all needs to get wiped away the Jedi the light side the dark side all that stuff we just need to burn it all down and start again of course his next step is as the first order and it's like what if we burn down the first order Kylo Ren what about then but he doesn't no 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 we're gonna I'm gonna keep my stormtroopers right and that's his problem it's like I have all this infrastructure come on yeah I'm I'm in charge Uh, I've got Hux doing what I want because I force choked him so we could just do this and 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 that's i think that's his flaw right is that i think he's right that the right thing to do is sort of like stop repeating the old things and do something new but he isn't willing to do that so anyway luke thematically it makes a lot of sense for me that luke is saying i'm i'll, I'll pop in as a ghost with yoda from time to time but you need to do this yourself i'm i'm done and obviously luke said at the top of the movie he says i came here to die I, I don't want to go anywhere else. I don't want to do anything else. I, I came here to die. And he does, but he does it in a constructive way and not just, you know, wallowing with his, yeah. with his, uh, his, cause you get the sense that he's been uh, closed to the force for years, right? Like ever since he failed with Ben, he just went to an Island, became a smelly hermit uh, with a beard 
and a robe and uh, stopped using the force at all. And of course he reopens his mind to the force and he does this incredible, powerful thing with it as his last act. I like all of that, but I also get how it's confusing. I'm not saying it wasn't confusing. I think your mm-hmm. feelings are valid about it. I, this is, this is my theme with this movie. <laughs> I also have a theme, which is <laughs> I like, I like the, I like thinking about it and I like the themes. I like the being able to critically read it. Those are my, it's rich enough to let you do all of that, even though some of the execution is wanting. So my favorite part of this movie is the whole scene um, with Ray and Ren in Snoke's yes. chamber. Yes, um, the red chamber. Oh my God, it's so, so good. everything that happens in that room is incredible. Like the, the altercation, the way that uh, Ren tricks Snoke, right? Like he's turning a lightsaber in his hand because he's thinking the thoughts so they're pure, but what he's actually yeah. doing is turning it on him. Um, but- also, it's ha- it's exactly how he killed Han Solo, right? Yep. Which is, which is you know, I don't know what to do. Like he says the same stuff and it's the, I think you think I'm doing one thing, but I'm actually doing another and boom, I ran you through with a lightsaber. It's yep. He kills his dad and now he kills his force dad the same way <laughs> but one of my favorite things what about... and what a shocker right Th- oh, this is literally yeah. what mm-hmm. darth this is literally what darth vader wanted luke to do right i will kill the emperor and then we'll rule together and that's what kylo ren is he does it he does it he kills the emperor and takes his throne basically he killed by killing snoke it's a great twist i think ryan johnson didn't like snoke very much which is fine because I, I thought he was a pointless character anyway i like him in this movie in the first movie he was just like a hologram i like him in this movie he's he's it, it, well done as this yep. kind of creepy evil evil dude evil jedi dude or sith dude or whatever he is but um but i love i love that the the act that that they both seen the future and that they fight together and this is when it happens and they you know he kills snoke and then they save each other it's amazing like the whole that, that whole i like the fights i like the varied weapons of those red guards i always liked the red guards when they were the emperor's guards in return of the jedi they looked really cool and mm-hmm. i wonder what they did cuz they're like stormtroopers but not and the they're great red and and they've got the they got the axes and the the or swords or whips um and though they die in very interesting ways mm-hmm. <laughs> As oh. the whole thing is on fire too in the background. The second time the I watched bit. it, because I watched it twice. Yep. The second time I watched it, I watched the march of like it catches on fire. The red drape catches on fire yep. and it's burning down in the background, revealing the the ship oh, and space so behind as it goes. It's amazing. Yeah. When when Kylo Ren just blasts the guy in the head. Oh yeah. Basic my 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 theater was full and basically everyone went. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that also when um when when uh, Ray um is stuck and she just drops her lightsaber and then yes. picks it up again, like lets it fall through the air and then just picks it up and yep. and knocks the guy out of the way. It's 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 and and nobody going into this movie, nobody would have predicted that one of the most, if not the most, rousing fight scene is Kylo Ren and Ray fighting yep. together. together. Yeah. But like, like, yeah, <laughs> I, I love the direction and the fight direction of both of these characters mm-hmm. because neither of them are traditional, but in different ways. Like, correct. Ray has found this new Jedi elegance that nobody has had before. Like the way that she wields the lightsaber is different but beautiful. But my favorite is the way that Kylo Ren does because he is sloppy. He's and a brutal. mess. <laughs> he always holds his sword down, which nobody does. 
right? Like all in fighting stance, he holds it down. And my favorite thing is he lets the, the, the laser drag along the ground a lot. And <laughs> I, I just love the way it looks because it also mimics the fact that his lightsaber is sloppy. Right, like all of it works together. Oh, yeah. With spitting that, out the sides and all of that. Basically, yeah. nobody trained him. Is what it looks yes. like in anything, and he kind of just worked it all out himself. And I also like that he had one mo- another moment in this movie, which was some of my favorite stuff from The Force Awakens, where he smashes something to pieces and people find him, uh, which he does yes. with the with a helmet, right? Like he smashes it up and the elevator doors open. He's like, "Get my ship ready," and then off he goes. Um, but yeah, that whole scene is just fantastic. I love the way that it ends. All of it's great. I like all their scenes together. Uh, honestly, I think the quiet scenes where they're kind of telepathically bridged and they're talking to each other and he's saying, did you ask Luke about this? And, you know, you're a monster. And he says, yeah, I am a monster and all that. I think Adam Driver is really good in this movie all the way through. And I think those scenes that they have together are unexpected and great. Yep. Um, I... I I, I did not expect that this movie was going to be kind of this connection between um, Kylo Ren and, and Ray and to this extent. And I think it's all, I think it's all really good and really interesting in that they, they have the moment where they touch and Luke obviously sees him there. And of course, you know, they have their history and it's um, I, yeah, I think that's all, it's all really good. The, all the, all the uh, Kylo Ray and Ren stuff is great or Kylo Ren and Ray stuff is great. Ben Solo. I just want to call him Ben Solo. Come yeah, on. Ben. Ben. I, I want to lightning round a few things with you, Jason. Okay. All right. The, the boy that feels the force at the end, who has the force at the end, which is incredible direction, by the way. Such a subtle thing, grabbing the broomstick, but everybody notices yep. it. Genius. Yep. Will that boy appear, or is it just to show there is more Jedi? Um, part of me wants to believe that episode nine is set like 10 years or 15 years later. Yeah, me too. And they've built up a new rebellion, and Rey has a has a little group of young Jedi that she's training, mm-hmm. and Kylo Ren has is basically the emperor and has made all sorts of horrible decisions. And uh, yeah, I I doubt that will happen. Um, I I but I don't know. I mean, this movie is saying, regardless of what happens in Episode Nine, this movie is saying. Um, the rebellion is born again because all these children are are all you know the children believe and the downtrodden in the empire believe and this is f- from this a rebellion begins um, and that there are there are other kids who are nobodies who are out there who have the force and they will be found and they will be part of the rebellion and they will rebuild a, a you know a new resistance to the first order like that's what the movie says now. What happens in the next installment in the franchise, you know, who knows what decisions they will make. But um, that's the implication here strongly, right? That yep. it is like this continues and this is the low point and we build from here. And they're all throughout the galaxy are the people who will be joining in this fight in in the years to come. Um, I doubt we will see like, oh, it's that boy again. Although it wouldn't shock me if there's like a boy, <laughs> whether it's this boy or a different boy where it's like, oh, yeah. And there are junior you know, younglings or whatever. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to do with episode nine, but part of me wants them to give it some time so we can see everybody settling in. I'm also expecting that episode nine will resolve itself very differently than the original trilogy. I'm still not entirely convinced that there isn't going to be like an important moment for um, Ben Solo realizing sort of like his grandfather, you know, right. That, Mm -hmm. that what he's done is wrong. And I don't, I don't think he can be redeemed 
but I also don't think he's going to be killed and that's going to be the end. I no. kind of feel like like with like with uh, Darth Vader, there's going to be that kind of that 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 mixed moment where he realizes he can either do something horribly evil or he can stop and let it be, you know, let it let it not happen and that he will make that decision to sort of like sacrifice himself or whatever in order to resolve things like in that last moment. But um who knows? Who knows? But um, I, I hope there's a little bit of a time jump. I think that would be kind of fun because these movies essentially take bla- take place back to back. And I'm not quite sure how you get from where they are at the end of this movie to resolving episode nine with presumably yeah. the end of the story without a time jump. And we've also just not the same movie, right? Like right. Scrappy. Like I don't, I don't really want to see Scrappy Rebellion of 10 people again. Um, I would prefer it to be a bit more bit more bigger rebellion right like a bit more original trilogy larger rebellion because we're left with an even smaller one than before and or or a very different kind of rebellion potentially that's not at all like the one in the original trilogy which is using different methods to win people over and you know overthrow the first order i don't know but um i'm i'm interested to see where they go from here but uh, back to your original question like i still love the way this ends i love the way this ends with kids pretending to be luke skywalker uh, standing in front of all of those, all of those uh, ad-ats. Yeah, they're telling the stories, right? They're telling the stories of what happens. It's nice. And the kid goes outside in, you know, and he's a, this kid in the stables or whatever, and he uses the force to grab the broom and hold it up like a lightsaber. It's like, what a great ending that is. It's great. Love I'm it. Not doing a very good job of the lightning round, but so be it. Uh, th- this next movie goes back to JJ, right? JJ's next. J.J. Abrams is yep. going to direct it, and um, he's writing it with a collaborator, I think. Okay. But um, but he's the director, so he's okay. taking it back to where it was in Episode Seven. Ryan right. Johnson is working on developing a trilogy of new Star yes. Wars movies to be released later. What do you think about that? About Ryan Johnson? I I think I think it could be really good because I'm impressed with his um I'm impressed with a lot of his work here. Um, I again I I feel like. Some of the plot stuff, especially the whole Finn, uh, Rose, uh, heist to go somewhere in hyperspace and and go to a casino and then go somewhere and find a random guy and bring him back and all of that was kind of like a misstep in terms of the plotting. But so, you know, he's not perfect, but I think he's I think he's shown obviously they've got a great confidence in him. And I, I think he's shown a great capability to have a to have a young creative uh, director, writer, director as a force to make new Star Wars movies. I, I, I get why they would want to do that. Just like Marvel has done with the Russo brothers, right? Where they're like, these guys are great. They did Winter Soldier and they're like, you get to do Civil War, you get to do Infinity War, you get to do Avengers 4. Like, you find some people who really work well in your system and you say, um, yes, let's get into business with them. And that's basically what they're doing with Ryan Johnson. I think yeah, it's especially if it's going to be a long running thing, it does help to have one person like always there i mean and they've had that a little bit with jj right like jj's kind of been always there for these ones and like ryan johnson will take that on from him all right last two things very quickly yoda happy to have him back oh so happy yeah i was i squealed when he was on this i was just i didn't expect it honestly um and i I didn't expect it at all i knew it was possible right but i didn't think they would do it neither did i porgs I was so so I did watch the trailer once and then all the memes about porgs mm-hmm. and I I was really worried that they were going to be and I talked to a lot of people who felt this way like like Ewoks where they'd be like 
like little warriors that we have to befriend and all of that stuff. And they're not. They're just birds who live in that island that are cute and the funny. Comic and relief, the Chewbacca. Right? It's they, comic yeah, relief. Yeah, and, and and they nest in the Millennium Falcon and Hilarious. Chewie roasts a couple of them. Yep. And uh and then they're like floating around in the Falcon. And yeah, it's silly, but I, I thought it was I thought it was funny because that's all they are, is they're just they're they're like tribbles. They're cute and silly and that's all they are. Is okay. they're they're and that's the, the with, we have the trio of, of fantastic animals too because the, they're the crystal foxes which were also pretty cool and yep. those horse things where the blue milk that were comes also from pretty cool where the blue milk comes from those big things well, well no the blue blue milk come from like those sea those sea lion things yeah yeah I got I, I thought you were saying about something else but that's another one though right we haven't seen no, those the race before, the right? race horses yeah the yeah, race horses no. and then the blue milk cow thing sea lions sea cow yeah. yeah. That was, I, most of that stuff was comic relief, and I enjoyed it. Right, like I, I liked the porgs. I thought it was funny. Right, like I thought yeah. that they were funny, um, and I liked every part that they were in. I laughed every. They time, made me so. laugh. I like the I like the um the frogfish people who are the caretakers who are really mad at Ray and Luke says I can't yep, imagine that's why really good. she as she destroys things on the island. I thought <laughs> those guys were great too. Again, again, very very kind of muppet muppety feel, but that's a Star mm-hmm. Wars thing, right? Yep. Like the aliens that feel kind of like muppets is actually that's consistent. That's a Star Wars thing. The good ones, anyway. All right, yes. so overall, I would say we're we're pretty pretty similar on this. Of course, you can go listen to the incomparable as well. Where there's more, and there's going to be more and more and more incomparable stuff. Well, the, the next. Everybody, yeah, we've got the one with with me and John Syracuse and Dan Warren, um, mm-hmm. and a, and a, three other people. It's a big panel, and then there are at least two other incomparable episodes coming this week. Plus, uh, defocused and Phil and Lisa Rubin, the movies is already up it's actually, everywhere. and defocused is coming. So we'll have like five on the network on the incomparable. We'll have like five or six episodes about the the uh, last jedi so yeah there's a lot out there and my expectation knowing about how great you are at this stuff is all of that will be collected under the last jedi page on the incomparable right in, indeed you can sub- and you can also subscribe if you want to the star wars feed which is also up at the incomparable if you click on the star wars link on any episode that's about star wars there's a there's a, a feed you can subscribe to with all the star wars episodes in it if you want to do that so that's all there. So I'll put that. I'll put the last Jedi page in. You can grab the feed from there too. Um, nice. But I think we're pretty similar on that. We both really like this movie, and it was a good. It's, we consider it a good Star Wars movie, but we both maybe felt more strongly about um, about Force Awakens. Yeah, I think this is a more complex movie. And I like I like that it's complex and it has lots of interesting themes and is playing with the universe in a way that that uh, Force Awakens couldn't do i would argue and and shouldn't have done um but i think that force awakens is a very straightforward clearly plotted movie and this for all of its beauty and a whole bunch of really great scenes i feel like there is a chunk in the middle that is just a ramshackle mess with the with the spaceship chase and the casino planet and all of that and it's only sort of right at the beginning and, and then in the last 45 minutes where it really kind of takes flight. In the middle, I think it's a little bit messy. So I don't think, you know, as a cohesive film of The Force Awakens, I think is a better movie. But in terms of richness and also like commenting on and opening up new directions for the franchise, um, this is uh, this is so rich and deep and I love it for that. And so I would say actually this is exactly the kind of movie that needed to be the second one of these movies out of the gate. The first one is for comfort and the second one really puts thing puts a spin on things. And, and uh, I think it's fundamentally, I think it's a good movie. Flawed, but really good. 
If you want to find our show notes for this week, relay.fm slash upgrade slash 172. Thanks again to our fine sponsors, the folk at Encapsula, FreshBooks, and Balance Open. If you want to find Jason online, he's at sixcolors.com and theincomparable.com. And he's at jsnell on Twitter. And Jason is the host of many shows at Relay FM. As am I, you can go to relay.fm slash shows to find about about all of our shows. And then if you're if you only listen to this or maybe one other Relay FM show, go take a look there. I'm sure there'll be something else uh, that you would enjoy as well. Um, I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. We'll be back next time with the very first upgrade holiday special. Until then, take goodbye, Jason Snell. See you on Christmas, Mike. <laughs>